0: Tonight, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it to 2 Timothy, chapter 2. And I want us to look at, um, well, the the lesson is entitled, Experiments in in Christian Living. I was not very good at chemistry. I I met a young lady this morning uh, who's a a freshman at at UT, and, and she's doing chemistry. And that's just, that is so far For me to, and I'm glad Tony did that, you know, because we need people in those fields because, uh, I'm not gonna do it. And somebody has to be able to do these things. I can remember in chemistry class, the, the, my teacher said, you know, we, we had the first lesson about, you know, lab work and these test tubes, they're not that expensive. These beakers, they get a little more expensive. These thermometers that are about this long, you do not want to break one of these. If you break one of these, you know, and we got the riot act read to us. And so we were heating some element, you know, one time. And and I I put the stopper in the test tube and I poked that thermometer down in it. And I had my back turned and I heard this pop. And I turned around and I caught that. I saw the thermometer shooting up near the ceiling and I gra- I caught it. And it still didn't dawn on me what had happened, and I just plugged it right back down on that (laughs) test tube and popped it a second time, but this time I was watching and caught it, and my lab partner said, you might want to grab one of those stoppers that have two holes in them to let some of that gas (laughs) escape. Uh, and so the, but, you know, I almost broke one of those sacred thermometers. Experiments. Sometimes we have failures, sometimes we have successes, and it's true in life. It's true in our walk with God. Some days we do so well. Uh, Satan throws all these temptations and stumbling blocks in our path and and we can skirt around them and and hurdle over them. And and, I mean, everything that's tried, I just respond in a gracious way and and I don't say the wrong things and, and I don't think the wrong thing. I believe the best in people and I refrain from engaging in what other people are engaging in and I have just a successful day as a Christian and then the next day comes, and I don't do so well. Oh, it's not that I don't want to do well, but I just, I, I fail. I, I'm weak, I, I have thoughts I shouldn't have, I, I have an attitude that I shouldn't have. I respond to people maybe harsh, harshly rather than graciously, and um, it's, it's not so good on some days. Thomas Edison was at, he, he did over 10,000 experiments just to get the light bulb right. And somebody said, do you regret all that time? You know, you, you, you were wrong 10,000 times. And his response to that was, I, I didn't fail. I just learned 10,000 ways not, uh, to do a light bulb. And, and he viewed that as a success because he learned something so what I want us to do this evening is to look at Second Timothy chapter 2, and I want us to look at what it takes to have a successful Christian life. This isn't all-inclusive, but there are several matters discussed in this passage that are really good experiments in Christian living. Things that you can put in practice this week. When you leave here today, you can go home with the resolution, tomorrow morning I'm going to try to do these things. And I'm, I'm going to try to do them well. And, and let's see how this experiment in Christian living works. Well, here's the first experiment. Be strong in grace. you see that in verse 1? You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That sounds really familiar and very similar to what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. But I want you to grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Here's something that I think we sometimes do. We ask ourselves all the time, are we growing in knowledge are you learning more about God than you used to know? Do, do you know more today than you did a year ago? You know, do you come to Bible study? We stress this growing in knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But don't exclude the growing in grace part. We're to be strong in grace. Have you strong in grace? We're to grow in grace. Have you ever known someone that's not very gracious? Maybe that could describe you in some respects. You know, I'm kind of harsh. I'm kind of short with people. I I don't show a lot of people a whole lot of grace. God says work on it. I, I don't want you to be amateurs at grace. I want you to be good at grace. I want you to be strong in grace. I want you to continue to grow in it. And let me ask you this question. Are you a more gracious person today than you were last year? I don't know. I might just be about the same. I, I never really gave it that much thought. I, I've never really pursued that maybe as a part of my life. You see, here's your Christian ex, ex, experiment God says, I want you to be strong in grace. Folks, let's work at being more gracious. Let's work at biting our tongue and and holding those things that just you know we could just fly off and say things. Let let's control our attitudes and and when somebody makes a mistake, let's be slow to jump on them and and quick to help them and to show them support and compassion. Grow in grace. Be strong in grace. You don't just wake up one day and and decide to be that. It's a Christian experiment. You get better at it the more you do it. And so, you know, when I wake up tomorrow, how am I going to treat those folks I work with? How am I going to treat those guys at school? How am I going to treat my family when I'm asked to do things that I don't really want to do? The Lord says, I want you to grow in grace. I want you to be strong in it, not just dabble in it. I want you to excel in grace, which is in Christ Jesus. So be strong in grace. Work on that. Experiment in that. And see if you won't be a better person as you master that. Here's the second thing that I find in 2 Timothy. If you look in verse 5, he says, follow the rules. Look at verse 5. If anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. If we want to be, uh, you know, in some sport, in athletic event, there are rules you, you have to live by. And if you don't live by those rules, you don't win. You get penalized. I think it's interesting that the apostle Paul, because here's what you hear people do. Yes, grow in grace, be strong in grace, we need to be gracious people. That's the problem, there's not enough grace in the world. And, and almost to the point where people don't have any use for rules. Um, you know, being a stickler for rules is seen somehow in opposition to being gracious and and to demand certain things of people in terms of obedience, that just doesn't cut it with grace. I, I believe in a gracious God, and I think you're just too uptight about the rules. In this passage, Paul commands both. I want you to be good at grace, and I want you to follow the rules. They're not opposed to each other. I've heard people say that we're not under... Uh, any kind of law today because we're under grace. Well, you know, that that statement doesn't really even make sense. Because why would you need grace if there was no law? You see, law and sin is a violation of law. And if there is no law, then there is no sin. If there's no sin, you don't need Grace. The very fact that grace is needed today says that there are rules, that there are laws that we must be obeying. And because of our disobedience to those laws, we are in need of grace. But I want us to learn to respect the rules that God has given. There are some things that God just simply said, no, don't do it. Flee from it. And oftentimes, they're the things that we want to flirt with. They're the things that catch our eye. They're the things that stir our our passions and our lusts. And God says, don't do it. We can't just walk uh, straight on in and do it anyway and, and ignore the rules, uh, counting on God's grace. And the Apostle Paul said, listen, if you're going to be crowned, you have to play by the rules. If you want to go to heaven... Yeah, you have to follow the rules. And there are rules that God has given us. In, in 2010, I, I just, this stands out in my mind because I, I was amazed at this guy's honesty. In 2010, there was a guy by the name of Brian Davis. He's a, a British golfer on the PGA Tour. He has never won. And he said, my goal in life is to win a tournament on the PGA Tour. He's come in second place five times. But he has never won. In 2010, he was tied for the lead and was in a playoff hole with Jim Furyk, and he had hit his ball in a bunker, and he was, just had to chip out up onto the green. And you know, if your ball's in a bunker, that means you can't ground your club. Your club can't touch anything before it hits the ball. And he said, you know, I, I was standing there and I back in my backswing. Out of the corner of my eye, he said, I was pretty sure that I hit a blade of grass. And I think I saw it move. And he charged himself a penalty stroke. And lost because of it. The The cash prize was a million dollars. I don't know that anybody would have ever seen that that little twig move, that piece of grass move. But he said, I could never keep a million dollars and say that my one, you know, I have achieved my goal of winning a PGA Tour when deep down I knew that it wasn't according to the rules. That's honesty and integrity. This is a man, though, that respected the rules, even if it cost him. I know people will find themselves in life situations where the Word of God says this and their life is this, and so they start trying to wiggle and find loopholes and and argue with it and ignore it and, and try to explain it away. What we need to do is experiment in Christian living. Follow the rules. Don't argue with them. Don't try to get around them. Just do what they say. You see, the rules are important. In fact, if you have your Bible, just flip it over there to 1 Timothy chapter 4, and I want you to see verse 16, which seems so foreign to so many people in our culture today. Because he said, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in so doing, you'll save both yourself and those who hear you. Is doctrine important? Are the rules that God gave us, are they really important? Or is it all just about this feeling of love and, and um, you know, sincerity? And, and there's more to it, isn't there? He said, by abiding by the rules, by living according to the doctrine of Christ, you'll save your soul. So as we go forth this week, I, I want you to do two things. I want you to experiment. I want you to try to grow in grace and be strong in it this week. I I want you to live by the rules. Don't make excuses. Don't look for loopholes. Do what it says. And then number three, I want you to be aware that there are some messages that can destroy you. Look at what it says in in chapter 2 and verse 17. He's talking about Hymenaeus and Philetus. And he said that their message will spread like cancer. He said of them that they had strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection has already passed and they overthrow the faith of some. I wish that in this world of ours today there was just one verse, one voice, and it was the voice of God. And no one was ever misled or, or misguided in their desire and attempt to follow God. But there are many voices. Just, and it's been that way from the beginning. There's, in the beginning, Eve being tempted by Satan, and, and she says, God said, the day we eat of this, we shall surely die. And another voice said, no you won't. She followed the wrong voice. There are other voices in our culture today that will keep you out of heaven if you listen to it. I, I remember, I mentioned golf just a minute ago, but I remember when one of the golfers that are on the P, that's on the PGA Tour had all kind of uh, family problems, had been unfaithful to his wife, and all kind of fallout resulted from that. And, and I remember a rather well-known person in our culture was on a news show and he said, Well, here's my advice to this man who's just been caught in all this infidelity. He said, Divorce your wife and have a good time. And that was his advice. Folks, that's the wrong voice. That's not what he should be listening to. That's not what the Lord would say. There are voices out there, even coming from pulpits, that you can't trust. You remember what Peter said in 2nd Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. He said that there are those who are teaching false, false teachers who are teaching destructive heresies. 1st John chapter 4 and verse 1 says there are many false prophets that have gone out into the world and, and that therefore we need to try the spirits to see whether they are of God. You can turn your television on and you can listen for yourself. And you can see guys dressed up in suits, and they act as though they have your best interest in mind, but what they tell you isn't the truth. What they tell you is a destructive message if you follow it. An experiment in Christian living is to acknowledge there are some things that I better double check, and I should not just blindly follow. I need to be on guard. I need to be aware that not every voice is the voice of God. And so I need to be engaged. What, what do I believe in? Why do I believe it? And is it does it come from God or does that come from man? That's part of this experiment in Christian living. Knowing who said what. By whose authority do we believe and practice what we believe and practice? And then, here's the last point I want to share with you tonight. And it's summed up in, uh, and I'll just say it this way, avoid silly arguments. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14, he says, Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. People can fuss and feud and argue and be cantankerous with each other to the point that the world just walks away. It ruins those who hear this kind of argumentation, this back and forth bickering. People say, I, I don't, I don't need any of that. I get enough of that at home. I get enough of that at work. You know, I want to come to a church that, that is Trying to follow God, not fighting about every little thing. And if you think that point's not being driven home in this chapter, look at there in verse 14, but look also in verse 16. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. And doesn't that happen? You get to arguing about things that are of no consequence and pretty soon people get hot and their attitudes and they get wrong-headed and pretty soon things are said and thoughts are thought that lead to ungodliness. But he's not done. Look also at verse 23. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. But again, he's not done. Look at verse 24. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. Now, I think it's important to read that verse 25 because he's not saying that we can never have a disagreement. In fact, he tells us to, in a humble way, Oppose those who were in error. But we should lose a taste for an argumentative spirit. I'll have to admit, when I got out of school, you know, I felt like I had spent four years kind of sharpening my sword. And, and I was ready to do battle. You know, and, and I probably had sometimes the wrong attitude. I went looking for a fight. Um, and I, I tried to find people and, and set them straight through the years, and again, I think it's part of this christian experience i i 've lost a t- i 'm not saying that i won 't stand up for the truth and that we shouldn't defend the truth and and all that I, Of course we should that that's what I, that's why i 'm here today, but these needless fusses. This quarrelsome spirits th- this willingness and and well a sense of satisfaction and joy to just mix it up with people and argue i've lost my taste for that I've seen what it can do I've seen how that it has consequences and it's not just about two people in a scrap it's fallout that affects children, when all they grow up and know is, is that church is a bunch of fussing and fighting and arguing, they don't want to be a part of that when they get older. I, I've seen that happen. So Paul warns, as a part of being a Christian, I don't want you to fuss. I, I don't want you to quarrel. There are things that just aren't worth fighting about. Let it ride. Now, there are things like Alexander and Hymenaeus who have overthrown the faith of some. You've got to stand against that. And when you do, you need to correct them in a humble way and be firm, but, but do so with humility. He's not calling for compromise. He's just simply saying not everything uh, is, a, is a line I draw in the sand. And I think that that would do us well to... to Well, as he says in verse 24, we're not to quarrel, but we're to be gentle, and we're to teach, and we're to be patient. And when we have to correct, we should do it in a humble way where a person doesn't feel threatened or abused when when they're corrected. But these four things that are listed in this chapter... I think, go well with uh, the theme of Christian experiments, experiments in Christian living. Surely, in this chapter, there are some things that you can go home tonight and say, tomorrow, when my day starts, I'm going to give this a shot. I'm going to try to be less quarrelsome. I'm going to try to be more gracious I'm going to try to follow the rules and stop looking for loopholes and excuses. And I'm going to be more discerning about the things that I hear and make sure that what I believe and what I practice is really the voice of God and not the voice of man. Put those experiments to work this week. If you're not yet a child of God, I want to remind you of what God says about Himself. In Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, He says... um, That we are, well, beginning in verse 2, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove, test, prove. God calls us to test those things that are good and perfect. He says, I'm calling you to a way of life and I'm asking you, test it and see. See if it's not so. The psalmist said in Psalm 34 and verse 8, taste of the Lord and see that He is good. Experiment. Did you ever have to do that when you were a child? My, my mom and dad sometimes would say, listen, put some stuff on my plate and it didn't, it was probably green and I didn't think it would look good or taste good. And I would, I would balk at that and they would say, you're not getting up until you, at least you've got to taste it. You've probably done that. You've probably been on the receiving end of that. You know, you can taste some things and learn, hmm, that wasn't so bad. Um, And that's what the Lord says. I want you to taste and see that I'm good. If you're here and you've not yet tasted the Lord to see that He's good, I invite you to experiment. He welcomes the investigation. And if you're here tonight and you have done that experimentation and you come to the conclusion, He is good and I need to give my life to Him, I want to go to heaven, then we can assist you in being baptized into Christ tonight. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful and and you haven't been living this life like you should and you haven't been practicing the, the fundamentals of this Christian experiment and you say, I want to do better, Will you pray for me? We will, if you'll come as we stand together and sing.